house position if you're not a Christian <laughs> this evening. A warm welcome with David Riley. That might be quite difficult. So hopefully you may learn something from the person next to you about this God that we worship. So tonight uh, we come to the end of the Caring Creator series, exploring the Christian call to care. Just so you're with me, can we go, oh, that was growing at the start of coming or at the end of the series, I'm not completely sure. Uh, but hopefully you've enjoyed this series, it would be great to kind of get some of your feedback on, on what we've explored over the past weeks. But if it is your first time here, I want you to be part of this conversation and bring you in from the get-go. So just, I want to kind of rehash what we've explored over this series. I've been looking at God's broader call to care, that he's not just interested in, in some of the things that we sometimes focus his care on, but his care is far broader than we can comprehend. And in fact, God cares about our buying habits. He cares about the things we buy because he calls us to be an ethical consumer. God cares about the poor and, and, and the marginalized, those who are, are weak and vulnerable. Why? Because he calls us to be justice advocates, people who are advocates for those who are experiencing injustice. Last week, Katie looked at what it means to be a nature nurturer, someone called to care about the environment and the creation that God has given us. And in two weeks previous, I looked at what it meant to be a spiritual carer. Having explored how God cares for others and calls us to care for others, God also cares about us and what that means. And for this, I wanted to kind of explore in a kind of a very holistic manner. So we look at, at a mind, body, and spirit, and explore those things individually. So through two weeks ago, I looked at being a spiritual carer, so exploring what it means for God to care about our spirit. And tonight, we're looking at what it means to be a health carer, that God cares about our body and God cares about our mind. So to be honest, from the start, I'm going to open up a story a little bit later um, about something that... Um, Many of you don't know about, so I'm making myself quite vulnerable this evening. So I just want to say from the very get-go, um, yeah, just, just, just go with me um, with this. So tonight as part of this message, um, I want to kind of make two points. That God cares about your body, and that sounds a little bit weird. And it, it, that's a little bit weird, God cares about your body? Like, not necessarily the shape you are, like whether you're a metamorph or an endomorph or an ectomorph or, or whatever, if you've got the perfect dad bod. I don't know what it is, but it's not, that's not what I mean by that. But he cares about our health and our well-being in that sense. But also God cares about your mind. And then it's been a really practical series in which we've given you things to go and explore yourself that you can put into practice. So I want to ask a question off the back of those two points. First is, is how then um, can we care for our body? But also then how can we care for our mind? So there are really practical ways to apply some of the stuff we're exploring in God's Word tonight. Are you up for it? Yes! Boom. Good. I'll get that in nice and early to ease you into the booms. So I want to start by, um, by saying that this message is not, and I realize that you might have heard the term healthcare and how we're talking about health and fitness, and you're sitting there going, no, dude, don't be that guy who stands up and goes, we want the perfect hipster Christians with their perfectly white teeth and muscly formed bodies that go to the gym five times a week, that have their food so sorted out that they wouldn't dare eat anything that's not vegetarian, perfectly organic, and sourced from kind of perfect sources. That's not necessarily what we're talking about tonight. Uh, my passion has been health and fitness for, for, for years. Um, I wanted to be a personal trainer for a long period of time. Um, and I went on to being a PE teacher uh, because, as they say, if you can't teach, you teach PE. 
And that's what I was expired at this particular time. In fact, signed up to study here in Plymouth. So this has been a passion of mine for years. I was a bit of a, a bit of all, looking at my fellow fellow in the world. I was a bit of a junkie for all the time and did powerlifting for a period of time. And, and was kind of in and out of that fitness industry for a long period and got to see how it kind of consumes people. People can become so obsessed with about how they look, but justify it by the means of, but I'm being healthy and fit, you know, this is good for my body. And in fact, ironically, something that was meant to be good for you became completely unhealthy because it became such an obsession. I signed up to Pure Gym a while ago, and um, I walked it, I was struck by the fact that I would leave like a sweaty mess out of the gym, having done a kettlebell session or something, and I would watch as people, there was almost a gym walk that the guys and girls would have as they were walking out the thing, that the t-shirt that only barely covered the nipples for the men, and their muscles showing all so beautifully as they glistened up with a little bit of sweat they've been doing from that one bicep curl they managed as they walked in, and then the women who are, are wearing this perfect clothing, I'm sure, under the guise of health and fitness, but really, um, they wanted to show off to some of the men. Um, I'm letting my mouth run. I need to reel it in a little bit. But that is what I experienced being at Pure Gym. And there's something about this idea of health and fitness. And the reason I think we often rile against it is because it's understood as being something so narcissistic about us, right, about forming that perfect body. And in fact, tonight, the the focus and, 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 and hope of this message is that we leave one knowing that God cares about your body, that our bodies are important, a gift from him, and he cares about them, but also then how we can care for our body, how we can change small aspects of our lifestyle just to begin to nurture our bodies in different ways. Are you cool with that? So, that's good. That's good. So not super fitness people, unless that's what you want to be, but just caring and nurturing our bodies for God. So if you've got your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12 to 20. Let's anchor this in the Bible. So 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12 to 20. You won't be surprised to find out there's no um, food, a list of foods you should eat for a good healthy diet or the perfect gym routine in the Bible. But we do have um, very clear texts about the body and what that means to, to God. And these are, this is one of the texts that we find this, where Paul writes this letter to the Corinthian church, a church that's very similar to a certain extent to our own, very individualistic. Um, wealth was a big point. There are lots of entrepreneurs and business people in this particular city. Um, and this narcissism would have been something very common, this focus on self. And in this text, Paul says to the Corinthians, um, quoting them actually at the start, all things are lawful for me, But not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is meant not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is said, the two shall be one flesh. But anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Shun fornication. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the fornicator sins against the body itself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are, that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. 
<laughs> we're sitting there thinking, oh, great, we've got to talk about the body, and instantly the preacher talks about sex. Is that what the church is obsessed about? But it's important in this particular text because Paul is trying to reevaluate the way the Corinthians understood the body. They lived within a Greek culture, and Greek dualism was key to their way of thinking. Body and spirit were two parts of our being, right? You would agree with that. Would you agree with that? Body and spirit are two parts of our being. But the issue was in, 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 in the Corinthian culture is that the spirit was seen as good, therefore you nurture it, but the body was seen as bad and evil and, and, and a source of wrongdoing. Therefore, really, as long as we're nurturing our spirit, we can do what we want with our bodies. That doesn't matter because actually that doesn't impact our spirit. Our spirit is a completely separate thing. So they created this massive distinction between what they did with their bodies and what they did with, with their spirits. So what the Corinthians are saying is, well, Paul, what you've been telling us, mate, is over the past couple of months, you've been telling us that we are free in Jesus. And if I'm free in Jesus and my body isn't connected to my spirit, therefore I can go and do what I want with my body, right, Paul? So I'm going to go and sleep with temple prostitutes and kind of explore all kinds of things sexually because really it doesn't matter what I do with my body because that has no implication upon my spirit. And what Paul is doing in this text, he's saying, no, in fact, your bodies matter. And he lays down an argument as to why your bodies matter and are connected to your spirit. You are one person. And he redeems this language of body, if you like, rather than just being something that's dirty and will ultimately be destroyed. He takes that language and shows how important our bodies are to God and how God cares for our bodies. Verse 13, the body is meant for God. People see our bodies and they make judgments upon our God with how we use our bodies and how we keep our bodies and how we nurture ourselves. What we do physically says something to others about the relationship we have with the living God, right? Verse 19, he talks about this idea of, of our bodies being a temple of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the living God lives within us. Our bodies, therefore, are his temple. And sometimes we can be so lax in how we look after these gifts we've been given in which God lives, right? And in verse 19 to 20, Jesus died for us. Like, not just our spirit, but our bodies as well. Our bodies are bought with a price. These are our gods. That To a certain extent, our bodies are on loan. We've been given them by the living God, and therefore, they're on loan in that sense. He died for us as a whole person, body and spirit. Does this make sense? So he's redeeming this kind of language of body. So often, what I hear when we talk about health and fitness is people kind of go, well, yeah, Ross, I get it, mate, but at the end of the day, I'm going to die and my body's going to be in the ground anyway. So it doesn't really matter what I do with my body now, as long as I kind of live as long as I possibly can, right? And do just as much to kind of maintain that. But in fact, what, what we see Paul doing here is redeeming this language of body and actually showing how God cares about our bodies as well as our spirits. Now, I acknowledge it's around sexual immorality that he's dealing with, and this isn't a fast plan of health and fitness that he's laying out here, but I think that concept holds fast to this particular idea we're talking about with health and fitness. Um, Ephesians 5, verse 28 to 29. I'm just going to explore three texts with you briefly for this point. And it says, in, in, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes it and tenderly cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. It's interesting, isn't it? The assumption of this text is that we tenderly care for our bodies. That's part of what we do as humans. We nurture our bodies. 
And Jesus calls us to, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And I suppose the question that's kind of asked almost here, or I'm at least asking out of this, is can we truly love our neighbor, love our partner, if we don't love ourselves, if we don't care for ourselves, if we don't care for our physical well-being? And in Psalm 139, verse 13 to 18, literally one of my favorite passages in the Bible, This is so cool. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Such a beautifully intimate text. But when you look at a a child being born or a newborn baby and see how intricately designed they are, that the the body of the mother that's birthed them can, can nurture them and care for them in the way they are, it's incredible, isn't it? Humans are incredible. And in fact, God made us, nurtured us, intricately designed us, that food is a way in which we source and, 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 and provide sustenance for our bodies, help our bodies be healthy and strong, the same with exercise, that God has given us these things to nurture us throughout life. There's something about that, something beautiful that God has created in his creation that, that creates human life so intricate and, 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 and beautiful and then gives us the sources to nurture that particular life. God cares about our bodies. And God also cares about our minds. And I want to share um, a story with you. Um, I'm, I'm not, those of you who are very close to me will know some of this stuff. Many of you might not. Um, when I was a little boy, I uh, had the kind of Rossisms, my little Ross's ways that my would always describe. I did many little kind of obsessive things as a, as a little boy. I had trends, and I would go through them periodically for about six months at a time. I'd have this obsession that I couldn't get out of my mind and would constantly field. Um, for a while, for example, it was bed covers. You know, you get to go to bed and you get scared of the boogeyman under your bed. Mine was that the covers would not be around my feet because I had some kind of weird fear of being dragged out of the covers. So obsessively every night I would go to bed and, and worry about the cover being over my feet. It would consume my mind until I fell asleep uh, for a period of about three or four months. Um, and if, it, if my feet came out of the cover, I'd wake up instantly and have to put my feet back under it. it may seem very small, but what way is I build the picture? Um, I had this obsession with the toilet for a while. Uh, not to get too graphic about it, um, just the fact that when, when I, I think I'd seen a toilet overflow and my dad get really annoyed and have to clean it out. So from then on, I thought, I'm never going to let the toilet get blocked. So I had, every time I'd have to wait for the toilet was completely clear and go back, maybe on numerous occasions, to check that the toilet had been completely clear before the anxiety subsided and I was comfortable walking away. And these are just, just a few of the things. Chewing, one of my uh, mum's friends uh, walked off a step and started choking and had to have someone give the Heimlich maneuver to remove the sweet from his, from his throat. And therefore, from then on, when I heard that story, I had to chew my food till it was absolutely mulch before I, could, before I could swallow it. started counting and hearing repetitions in order to help me chew. 
And these were only a few of, of what became um, patterns in my life as it grew to the point where I remember as a teenager standing by a window looking outside in tears because I, I, I just could not deal with my mind. And I remember thinking the scariest thing in the entire world is what goes on here. I almost thought if there was a, you know, a physical ailment or something, that it may be horrific and I'm not, I, can't, I, mean, I can't imagine some of the things you may well have been through. But it seemed manageable that you could at least get through it, that it was something you could do. But when it was in here, I didn't know what to do. And I couldn't get out of this. And this consumed me. And this was getting too difficult. Get to university and um, I start having these horrific thoughts that I can't control. They come up and I obsess over them. And I spend the day trying to work, work them through bit by bit, every single scenario. The what-ifs, working through every single bit. That obsession then grew to a, a, an overwhelming sense of anxiety as soon as the thought came in. And I had to escape or rely on a compulsion. So I started to develop various compulsions, things I would do with my hands. I wouldn't do certain things or go to certain places. And I had a list of things that I did at university that I didn't even think was weird, but was the way I coped with the anxiety that would build up when these thoughts would come. It consumed me entirely to the point when I was working at Harmonsworth Detention Center for asylum seekers as part of my placement in my second year of university. And I was sitting in the chaplaincy office with the chaplain, head chaplain at the time, and um, I'm not particularly a crier, and I'm not someone who um, would randomly get emotional, but I remember sitting there, and for no reason, I just burst out crying. I was completely overcome with emotion. And the, the, office, the guy there, he prayed for me and sent me home early. So I was driving home that night, emotionally drained. This had been going on for months and months and months and months. The only way I can describe it is it felt like there was a plane of darkness that you couldn't see any hope or light beyond. And as I was driving home, so emotionally drained, I fell asleep at the wheel, and switched two lanes. And as I woke up, the only thing I could think is I was so absolutely gutted that I'd woken up. I remember being sad about the fact that I'd woken up. And for the rest of the journey, I kept almost luring myself to pretend to fall asleep, that if I could just fall asleep for a brief minute, I could escape whatever was going on in here. I remember... Um, when I went into to, to ministry, I kind of I, I got to a point where some of that stuff had gone and it went through. As I said before, like from my childhood, it had been a kind of trend thing. Every six months, there'd be something different. And I remember walking into the office of the associate pastor, Rob Hatfield, um, on one of these particular occasions where it had just been built up over months and months and months and months, and I was no longer able to cope with it. And I sat in his office and um, I, just, I just let myself go and said, Look, mate, I can't, I don't know what to do with this. It's, it's still here and I can't get rid of it. And he said, have you ever thought that it could be some, a mental health illness, something like OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, so often gets translated in jokes and humor as being something where you just like tidying things or you like washing your hands, whereas in fact so often it's about the thoughts that come into your mind, the obsessions you gain over those thoughts, and then the compulsions you develop to subside the anxiety. I then went um, to a doctor and, and, and sought help with the NHS. Um, I got signed up to iTalk and spent six months in counseling. Um, easily one of the most horrible experiences of, of my life, but also one of the best, doing CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, every single time sitting there and telling them the thoughts that you don't really want to explain to anyone because you've spent that much time obsessing with them, and every week being given homework and things to go away and do about them. It felt like every time I was, unopening, I was opening up that wound again. But I'm at a place now... And I say, by the grace of God, because believe me, it's by the grace of God. If it wasn't for my mum and dad and others in my life that I can point out, I, I, I wouldn't be the place where it's manageable. But you get to a place where, where I'm able to cope with it. 
because it's cognitive, cognitive um, uh, behavioral therapy, because of the grace and love of God and the people that surrounding me, I'm at a place where I'm able to manage it. Because of Fiona Spicer, who sat me on numerous occasions in counseling and worked through some of these trains of thought. Um, what have I learned from this? Mental health is real. I, I, I will not stand up here and pretend that I was some great sympathizer with those who had mental health problems before, by any means, shape, or form. In fact, I was probably the opposite. I was quite blasé about it. Well, if you're just depressed, just cheer yourself up. It was often my attitude. But only health is, is, is mental, not only is mental health real, but it is an illness. I think that's what I discovered in it. These thoughts, these patterns were so ridiculous. And in my good self, when I was objectively analyzing them, I thought, dude, you're a joke. How are you still thinking about that? But yet in the moment when I'm consumed in that cycle, there was no escape. And it was completely um, consuming. I have a great sympathy for anyone who struggles with mental health. If that's something that you can relate to, I'll say the first thing tonight. The point I want to make is God cares about your mind. God cares about mental health. And I set about for this message exploring then what does this mean um, in the Bible? What does the Bible have to say about mental health? And actually in regards to the, the body, in regards to the spirit, it has an awful lot to say. But in regards to the mind, to a certain extent, not much. At least not as much. And there's um, arguments that, that certain biblical characters had mental health problems and because of the way they reacted to certain situations, which is, which is helpful, but at times it, it, it's, it's um, suspect. It, not suspect, but it, it doesn't... You don't, we'll never know for sure if those characters definitely did suffer from the things that, that people are saying they suffer from. It, it becomes often a lot of speculation more than anything else. And some people would suggest that Jesus, when he was de- dealing with demons was dealing with people who had mental health problems, and that was the language they used at the time to describe that. Again, it could be possible, but we don't know for sure, and you end up leaning on speculation. You know the time where I think mental health makes most sense in the Bible is the Psalms. That's the language where I think I want to begin with tonight, is the Psalms. There is something in the Psalms that speaks to those of you tonight who can relate to some of the stuff I'm saying. Psalm 88, if you've got your Bibles with you, and I'm going to read the whole thing. Every other psalm in the Bible, there's a happy ending to an extent. You know, they, they cry out, God, this sucks. I have no idea what's going on, but I've seen your faithfulness in the past. And at the end, it's something like, therefore, I hope in your faithfulness. Your, your love never ceases. All these kind of different lines. But Psalm 88 is a psalm of, of, of bleakness. There isn't a happy end at the ending. Oh, Lord... God of my salvation, when at night I cry out in your presence, let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like those who have no help. Goes on to verse 13 to say, but, but I, O oh Lord, cry out to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. Oh Lord, why do you cast me off? Why do you hide your face from me? Wretched and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am desperate. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dread assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. From all sides they close in on me. You have caused friend and neighbor to shun me. My companions are in darkness. 
And it's funny, even in reading that out, I want the pastor in me says, well, I need to give an answer. I need to suddenly say, well, there's hope. Don't worry, there's hope. It's okay. Jesus is with you. But I think the reality of mental health is it doesn't matter how many times you hear that, that doesn't cut through the plane of darkness. It's very, very, very true. And I testify to a God who got me through that, and I hope and pray will get you through if you're experiencing any of these things. But the reality that this text brings out is, in fact, I think we need to sit and be comfortable with the fact that actually that's how someone feels. And we can't change that in an instant by trying to comfort them with nice words. So how does God care about our minds? The healings in the Gospels tell us something of God's care for illness and sickness. Illness and sickness is not part of God's plan. We see that when God came to the earth in Jesus and and healed the sick and the lame. Who did he spend time with? The vulnerable, the poor, the marginalized. Yes, but those who were sick, he healed them. He brought about the kingdom of God on this earth, and the kingdom of God does not have place for sickness and illness. Illness, mental illness or physical illness, whatever it is, is not part of God's plan, not part of his kingdom. Therefore, we know that God cares about this kind of stuff, that he cares about mental health. We see that in Jesus healing the sick. But also there are many passages in the Bible encouraging us um, in times of anxiety and fear. There are so many passages that cover these topics. Um, Philippians 4, verse 16. I'll just present this as one example. There are so many examples that I could draw on, but Philippians 4, verse 16. And by 16, I mean 6. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. In 1 Peter 5, verse 7, it talks about giving your anxiety to God because he cares about you. The Bible is full of texts. Put Jesus about the burdens Lay your burdens down. Place your burdens upon him. We come to a God who cares about our minds and cares about our bodies. So, revisiting the body topic, practical implications. How can you care for your body? I'm going to suggest some things. You may not like them, but it's just some ideas to go away and potentially put some of this in the mind. If God cares about our body, then how can we take that principle and care about our bodies ourselves? Um, the first is, and Lizzie is here tonight, Lizzie. Can you put your hand up? I'm putting you on a spot. You're not going to talk. Just make yourself known. There she is. There she is. Daniel Plan. That's what I'm talking about. Don't worry. Lizzie loves the Daniel Plan. This is a great place to start if you're wanting to explore some stuff about health and fitness and what that looks like for us as Christians. Um, this was Rick Warren, a pastor in America, had this, uh, wanted to work in his own health and fitness challenge by some of the concepts we explored earlier. And then got his congregation of like thousands of people to join him. And they lost a collaborative weight of a lot and, and, and had this incredible journey together. And he records some of these things in his book with different professionals that have helped him in this field. So there's all kinds of nutritional ideas, of ideas of how you can do this for your friends and fitness ideas. The Daniel Plan, search it on um, Google. Chat to Lizzie Jones, our resident Daniel Plan expert. She's going to kill me for saying that, but she can't do anything about it. Or come to me, I have a copy of the book, or you can go to CRP and order yourself a copy of the book. Um, also, apps are pretty good at the moment, right? You can get apps... For all kinds of, <laughs> I'm, that was not, I don't know, that's a place to be excited about, but yes, we love apps. I've talked about Jesus, but we love apps. Um, 
go and explore them. There's all kinds of different ones for like uh, different exercise regimes or food and nutritional stuff. I loved the River Cottage one, the Riverford, Riverford app. This one is awesome. You can go on and get all kinds of um, different vegetable recipes and stuff like that from all kinds of different vegetables. Like literally vegetables I didn't even know existed. They throw in some kind of dish. So if that's something you're thinking about, it's pretty delicious. And if not, just chuck a bunch of salt on it. <laughs> no, Lizzie, no. Oh, that's not part of the... Oh, sorry. Sorry, I need to read the book. <laughs> um, the next thing is... is, is maybe t- one of the things I learned a lot through this kind of health and fitness industry is small, manageable steps. You'd always get the guy who came into the gym and wanted his beach body in five seconds, and it would be biceps, 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 chest, 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 and lifting incredible weights that everyone in the gym knew he couldn't manage, but his mate's watching, so he had to prove to them he could. Small, manageable steps of all of these things, right? You decide you're going to change a little bit of your eating habit or a little bit of your fitness habit and slowly begin to build on that. You will not become whatever it is you want to accomplish in a couple of weeks. It is a slow process. But actually, that's what we're talking about tonight, not becoming a super fit, um, health crazy person, but, but, but someone who, who cares about the, the nature of their body and wants to nurture it through health and fitness. Do it in team. Get a friend along. Drag a friend along for your crazy ideas. Talk to them. Get, a, get on WhatsApp. Create a little group. Our fitness plan. And then, and then get on and try and work at some of these stuff. I don't know. I always find it helps to do things with someone else. And finally, that phrase you were told by your mum and dad um, when you were young, everything in moderation is by far the most profound statement of wisdom I've ever heard and is true in everything in regards, for my, in my mind, in everything in regards to this. Um, so many times people come up to me and they said, oh, I've got this massive plan, Ross. I'm going to do, I'm going to wipe out all sugar in my diet. I'm not going to drink any caffeine and I'm only going to have water and rice. And that's been my diet for three or four months. And I always smile because I know that's brilliant. But once you get to the four months, if you have done that, that is insane. But actually, after that, you fall back into the habits you had previously. There is something about everything in moderation. If you want a chocolate bar on occasion, have it. You need it with Britain's Got Talent or Downton Abbey or something like that. You have to have a chocolate bar or some popcorn or something like that. But if you constantly deny yourself every sense of food, you will fall essentially at one point and find yourself crying into a tub of ice cream, shoving chocolate down your face. Definitely never experienced that, FYI. That's just a hypothetical. So how can you care um, about your mind? In regards to finding out about some of these things, um, the Mind website, the biggest charity in the UK for mental health, is fantastic. All kinds of information on there. Um, I'd encourage you to have a look. If, if that's something you struggle with, mental health, again, they've got all kinds of um, directions of where you can go and, and, and people you can talk to about these kind of things. Um, or Think Twice is a website that was a company set up by my friend from London School of Theology, and she struggled with mental health for a long time and um, created this charity in which they help to equip churches to deal with mental health. So if this is something that you're interested in, again, visit that website. But actually, and here's, here's, my, here's my pastoral heart on this one. Um, if, if, if you are struggling with mental health, seek help. I found counseling really, really helpful, that chance to talk and have a professional deal with some of these things. Um, you could go to the doctors and NHS to go to something like iTalk. I know that um, in Plymouth, in particular, in the southwest in general, uh, mental health um, it, uh, 
places like that are quite difficult and slow in their, pro- in their processing of people. She could potentially be waiting a while for that. What I'd actually encourage you to do, I don't know if we're going to get a rush of people, Fiona, but the counseling here at Muttley is, is amazing, and I owe so much of my ministry here at Muttley so far to speaking to Fiona um, and others about some of these things. Um, so if that was something you were interested in, that may be a great way to begin talking to about some of these things with trained professionals um, in this field. But also talk to a friend. It seems so simple, but some of these things can become so huge in our minds until we take the power out of them by talking with someone. Have a friend who you can comfortably tell these things to, the deepest, darkest things of that mental health problem, and in in, in which you can pray through some of these things. And someone who will commit to pray for you, even that moment when you go, but I don't even believe in God at this moment, Ross. Well, that's fine, but I want to pray for you. Or I will be praying for you when you're struggling through this. Those people who are a solid rock in your life who will listen to these things, be able to handle them, and will commit to praying for you and being there spiritually as much as you wrestle with these things. That's just some of the stuff I've learned, and and, and I hope it's helpful in that area. But please, um, don't suffer alone. Come and chat to one of us afterwards. We'd love to pray with you, and we'd love to help you on that journey. God cares about our body. God cares about our mind. God cares about our spirit. God cares about the things we consume and buy. God cares about those who are weak, are vulnerable, and are marginalized. And God cares about the creation and the world that he's given us. Let's pray. Father, I know that message was quite heavy, and um, I don't really know what to pray. But that we come to you as a, as a father and a God who cares, a God who loves us, a God who wants the best for us, a God who sees beyond the things that consume us. So we pray as your family you help those of us, our family members who are struggling with mental health? Will you help us care for our, for our bodies as, as you care for them? To acknowledge how you've created us so intricately. And all these things may not just be for the sake of it, but they be when we're on our mission fields and we're out there on our front lines. People go, why is that person dealing so well with their mental health? Why is that person so happy and fulfilled in their fitness and, and what they're doing with their food? And we'll be able to say, because we love and worship a God who cares and a God who's with us. May we care as you care, Jesus. Amen.